Uh, it's great to go through Ephesians 2 with you guys today. Uh, whether you're still in bed, uh, you're on the couch, uh, or you're just watching this and you're just watching it in your underpants, uh, it's great that you're here today. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good story, particularly those rags to riches stories. There's something just about like the, the blend and the mixture of failure, persistence, struggles, and hard work that make great ingredients to a story. It's kind of like the story of Jack Ma Yun. Jack was born in China, uh, and as he grew up, he was a very ambitious boy, but he wasn't foreign to failure. See, he'd failed the uni entrance exam three times before he finally got in. And when he finally got his degree, he applied for 30 different jobs. And he was turned away every single time. There was this one time where Jack uh, and 23 other participants, uh, they went for a job at KFC. And all of them got a job offer except for Jack. But Jack kept persisting. When he saved up enough money, uh, he moved to America and he started his own online company. Now, when he started this online company, it was just him and a couple of mates that had invested. But after five years of blood, sweat, and tears, he had $25 million worth of investors. And now, 20 years later, Jack has a net worth of $35 billion. But what if that's not how the story went? What if the story went like this instead? Uh, Jack grew up in a wealthy family in China. Uh, when he finally turned 18, uh, his parents gave him a very, very generous birthday present of $25 million. They said to him, here you go, Jack. Go start your own company. Uh, and now, 20 years later, Jack has a net worth of $35 billion. I wonder which one of these stories you like more. If I was to guess, it'd probably be the first one, right? Because we dislike the idea of someone getting something that they never earned. Someone who did absolutely nothing getting everything. It, it's, it's just so unfair. It's so unjust. Because how it's supposed to work is you work hard first, then you see the results. You study hard, then you get good marks. You gym, then you get big. You work hard at your job, then you get that promotion. But in that passage that we just read, it completely flips this around. It turns it on its head. God does it all, and then we're called to good works. And we're going to see today, uh, as we dive into this passage, how this just changes everything. So how about I pray for us? Uh, as we go through this passage together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray as we come before your word uh, that you would help us to understand it, and not just understand it, but live it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, Paul kicks off chapter 2 in a super happy, super bright note in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This isn't happy. This is, this is terrible news, isn't it? I mean, Paul's just spent the last chapter talking about all the blessings that they have, how he's praying for them. 
And now he just writes, he just smacks the Ephesians and he smacks us and he tells us that we're dead in our sins. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean for us to be dead in our sins? Well, God created us to be in relationship with him, to follow him in obedience and to have life to the full. But in verses two to three, we actually see that we followed someone else. We followed the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, uh, that's Satan. Uh, now, throughout Ephesians, uh, there's an acknowledgement of evil spiritual forces, uh, which can be pretty strange uh, if you haven't heard about it before. Uh, but hang in there with me uh, and, and be open to that possibility. And on top of following Satan, we followed our own fleshly desires, whatever we wanted, not what God wanted. And because of this, we actually removed ourselves from God, the source of life. It's, it, it's kind of like when you're vacuuming, you know, and then you're vacuuming a bit too hard, and then you unplug it from the, from the power socket. Like, what, what happens? The vacuum dies. Or, or when you take a fish out of water, what, what happens? It, it dies. And just like this, in our rebellion against God, we had removed ourselves from God, from the source of all things good, from the source of life. So even though uh, on the outside, we look pretty all right, we look pretty good, on the inside, our default status is that we're spiritually dead. We're separated from God, which means that we're incapable. We're incapable of choosing to live for God incapable of choosing life because we're dead. Dead people don't do anything. Dead people can't do anything. And it actually gets worse for us at the bottom of verse 3. We see that we're deserving of God's judgment, or as Paul describes it, we're, we're children of wrath. This means that not only are we, are we dead without God, we're like super dead because his judgment is coming against our disobedience as well. So um, that's, that's, that's where we're at. We're, we're dead, we're disobedient, and we're deserving of God's wrath. But look with me at verse 4. Th- those two amazing words that change everything. But God. We've just been reading about how spiritually dead we are, how disobedient we've been to God, and how deserving of God's wrath we've been. And now whether it's, it's your first time reading Ephesians or it's your one millionth time reading Ephesians, these words, but God, they're good news for us. It's, it's like that unexpected turn in a superhero movie. You think all is lost, but then, but then by some crazy miracle, help comes and saves the day. Let's read verses four to five. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. What a turn, right? We think all is lost. No, we're dead, absolutely, positively dead, having no ability to save ourselves. And then God, in his great power, by the same power that he uses to raise up Jesus, saves us and raises us up to be alive with Jesus. 
and how are we raised alive with Jesus? Well, if we look back uh, to chapter 1, verse 7, we see that through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, we've been brought back to God, and our relationship with him is restored. See, we had rejected God. We deserved God's punishment. But Jesus, Jesus took that punishment so that now we can be back with God, the source of life. And so in Jesus, we have life so that just as Jesus was raised from from dead to life, we're raised from dead to life. It's, it, this whole thing is so amazing, isn't it? It's, it just shows us how amazing God is. We were children of wrath, fully deserving of God's judgment. But God, because of who he is, shows us his mercy. We, we rejected God. We, we, we chose to love other things. But God, because of his great love, chose to love us and save us from our disobedience and from death. I used to watch this show called Doraemon as a kid. And if this service was in person, I'd probably ask you guys to, to raise your hands um, to see if you guys know who Doraemon is. Uh, but since I can't see you guys, I'm just going to assume that your hand is raised and that you had a blessed childhood. Um, but if you don't know who Doraemon is, uh, he was this blue cat and he, he'd go on all these fun adventures with his friends. And when he went on these adventures, he'd have this pouch and inside his pouch, he had a magical gadget for any sort of situations. Uh, so if his friends uh, needed to fly, he'd have a jetpack. Uh, if his friends, by some weird circumstance, needed to look older, he had this weird handkerchief and he'd like rub it on them and they'd look older. Super weird. And you can kind of see where I'm going with this analogy. It's not a perfect analogy. I'm not saying God is some sort of weird magical gadget cat that like whips out anything. But what I am saying is that God is able to meet and solve our deepest need. We were dead. He makes us alive. We had wrath coming. He shows us mercy. We needed love. And so he loves us. And this is all because of his grace. That is to say, God's undeserved kindness. This, this gift of grace this gift of being made alive with God, this gift of being restored into a relationship with him, it, it's, it's all free. It's free in Jesus. You don't work for it because you can't work for it. How liberating is that? And if you think, if you think, think, that, think that's good, it gets better. Verses 6 and 7, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What's this mean? What's it mean that God's going to show us his grace and his kindness in the ages to come? Well, uh, one day we're going to be with Jesus forever, being with him in the new creation. And we're just going to be absolutely gobsmacked as we come to fully understand and fully appreciate God's immense grace. It's like you've got this amazing feast in front of you. Just imagine it. And in your right hand with your metaphorical fork, uh, you take a stab into it and you take your first bite. And you're like, whoo, that's good. And then in your left hand, obviously with your, your second metaphorical fork, you take a stab into the food, you take your second bite, 
and you keep doing that and, it, and the food just keeps getting better and better and better and better. This is what the progression of verses four to seven is like. It's like this feast because at first you're like, wow, we're dead, we're disobedient people and God makes us alive in Jesus. And then you find out that the best is still yet to come as one day we come to fully appreciate and just continue to be in awe of God. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Now, maybe you're, you're someone who's currently exploring Christianity. Uh, you've stumbled across this service uh, or your friends invited you to watch this service with them. And, and you're like, Who, who's this Jesus guy? Who's this Jesus guy that my friends are always on about? If that's you, Jesus is calling you to accept this free gift of grace, to put your trust in him, in his death, in his resurrection, that you would be made alive restored to an awesome relationship with him and experience his kindness in the ages to come. Will you accept this free gift of grace? So, why does Paul have this intense espresso shot of the gospel before he encourages the Ephesians and us to good works? Well, let's take a look back at the Bible, verses 8 and 10. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we all need to get grace before we get good works. Why? Because by nature, we're all legalists. That's to say, we kind of keep rules to, to gain some sort of thing, to gain some sort of favor. Uh, we study hard, some of us, therefore we deserve to get into uni. We work hard in uni, therefore we deserve that job. We work hard on that job, so I think we kind of deserve that promotion. It's always about doing stuff to get stuff for us. Now, we probably don't say this out loud, but we can probably be tempted to think and feel this way with God. We evangelize. Surely God looks at that and is like, whoo, that guy's pretty good. He's, he's in my good books. Uh, we're a regular at church Bible studies. Surely God looks at that and he's like, man, that, that guy's pretty dedicated. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, these are really awesome things to do, and they're very important for us to be doing as Christians. But as we just read, God's grace needs to be what drives our good works. We don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. Remember how we spent verses 1 to 9. What have we been doing? We've been doing nothing. We've been dead. God's done everything. And by his grace, we're saved from the ways that we used to walk, saved to walk in good works, in his ways. So what good works are we saved to do? Well, Paul goes on in uh, chapters 4 to 6 uh, to flesh out some examples of what it looks like to love God and love people. Uh, but in light of our church's mission uh, to be a people of God, growing in Christ, reaching out with the gospel until he returns, uh, here's two we can focus on. Number one, let's tell our friends, our family, our neighbors about this good news. 
the good news that Jesus is king and that this king came. He came to give his life and rise again for us so that we can have life with him and live for him. What, what great news we have to tell people. In Ephesians 1.13 it reads, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. So just as Paul reminds the Ephesians, we too need to be reminded. People actually need to hear the gospel before they can accept it. So let's share it. Let's make the most of the, time, most of the time that we have now and tell people about the good and gracious gospel of Jesus. What's your next step in this? Maybe it's to pray. To pray that God would lead you to someone that he's been preparing to hear the gospel. Maybe it's to, to message that friend that you've been putting off messaging and have a Zoom call and check in with them. Maybe it's to read through a book of the Bible with your friend and for them to discover who Jesus is. And it's scary, I know. But did you know that God's actually already gone before you and he's prepared for you these good works? Let's have a look back at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How cool is that? Think about it. That means God has spent time, he's drawing it up, he's been figuring it out, shaping it, baking it, and he's been prepping. He's been prepping the good works that we're to do. Let's have confidence in that. God's prepped it, so let's do it. So God has saved us for good works. And one of these is to proclaim the good news of Jesus. A second good work that we could be doing is to welcome and love newcomers, those who are seeking to belong at church. Uh, it's a common experience among all of us. Uh, I think it's easier just to talk to our friends. Uh, we have lots in common with them, lots of inside jokes, probably lots to catch up on. And that's really good. Let's keep checking up on our friends. But God has welcomed us into his family. So let's consider how we can love and welcome newcomers uh, and those who are seeking to belong at church. When you come to Bible study, look out for that person you haven't seen for a while. Send them a message. Send them a care package. Uh, on Sundays, offer to, to Zoom call the service with people you haven't seen for a while. And afterwards, genuinely check in on them. How are they going? And pray with them. Let's, let's be intentional in looking out for newcomers and those who want to belong at church. So, what have we seen from Ephesians 2? Well, we've seen that we're completely dead. Dead in our sins, incapable of doing anything. But God, by his grace, makes us alive in Jesus. And, and not just alive, but gives us an inheritance where he would just keep showing us his grace, where it just keeps getting better and better and better and better. And now as a people of God, driven by grace, Let's consider how we can proclaim the good news of Jesus and welcome and love those around us.